Genesis 2, 18 through 24, let's talk about marriage. It says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And every man said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Verse 19, now the Lord God formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Verse 23, listen to what Adam says. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, our key verse for today, one of my favorite times in any marriage ceremony that I do, this is the key verse. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one. Uh, I, a couple years ago, I think it was, yeah, it was a couple years ago, I tore my rotator cuff in probably what was the most heroic act of my life. We were uh, driving the truck down the highway, and my kids were sitting in the back, and we forgot to childproof the doors, and one of them opened up the door, and as they were falling out of the truck onto the pavement on the highway with cars coming, the most heroic thing, I spun all the way around, I snatched that child by the back of the hoodie that they had on, I pulled them all the way back into the vehicle, tearing everything in my rotator cuff, tossed them in to the front seat, never dropped below 70 and stayed in my lane the whole time. You know that story's a complete lie, right? <laughs> but how do you explain to somebody how you tore your rotator cuff when you do it in a way that I did it? You want to know how I tore my rotator cuff? Yeah. You really, now, now I have to tell you, right? Um, it was actually Memorial Day, and I was grilling something for my family. We were all playing outside, and I was standing over my grill and I was holding a tray in one hand, and there was this bee that was flying around my face in the other hand. Or in the, and he was just buzzing around. And finally, I had enough of him. So I, I wound up and went to give him a good smack, and I swung, and I missed him, and I tore my rotator cuff in the process. I'm serious. Like the most embarrassing thing, I tore my rotator cuff swiping at a bumblebee, right? That I didn't even kill. And I swing at this thing and I was like, oh, wow, that hurt. And I remember like trying to lift my arm to, to close the grill. And it was, there was so much, it felt like someone had just ran a knife straight through the back of my shoulder. I was like, uh, I did something. I go in and tell Anna, I said, honey, I know, I tore my rotator cuff. She said, oh my gosh, what did you do? I said, I tried to smack a bee outside. She said, what? I said, really? Like, I tried to kill this bee. I missed it. I tore it. So I go to the doctor, and sure enough, he says, you, two, you tore two out of the four uh, tendons in your rotator cuff, the back ones. And uh, I said, what can we do? 
And he said, well, I can give you an injection. I said, great, load me up. And he gave me an injection, and I was great. It was, it, I felt like I walked out of there, and three hours later, I was like, wow, this feels really good again. You know, come back, B. I got another one for you, right? Three-piece this time. But I, I felt great. Everything was good. Three months went by. I was working out. I was running around. I was throwing a ball. And then all of a sudden, after three months, this sharp pain comes back. And it was even deeper than before. I was like, oh, my goodness. What happened? I went to my doctor, and I said, hey, I need another injection. So he gave me another injection. And you know what happened? Three months of bliss. I felt great. I was like, I don't know what is in those things, but I'll have another. These are great. I was, I was feeling good. I was working out. I was playing with my kids. I wasn't waking up in pain, anything like that, until three months goes by. And I'm like, golly, it was even worse that time. I don't even know what is going on. I go back to my doctor, and I said, I need another injection. And he said, I can't give you another injection. And I said, oh, yes, you can. I said, give me another injection. And I said, it's the only thing that helps me. And he said, Luke, the injections aren't helping you. They're hurting you. Here's what's happening. You're getting an injection that's masking the pain, and then you're going three months, and you're doing an even deeper tear and an even deeper destruction to your shoulder, and once the injection wears off and it rises to the surface again, it is worse than before. He said, these injections aren't helping you. These injections are making the pain worse. Let me tell you something. Marriages cannot survive on injections. Marriages cannot survive on the injection of a vacation. On the injection of, let's start going to church again. On the injection of a kid. Oh my gosh, I, it's the craziest thing I've ever heard. It's, I sit before a couple and they're like, hey, we're just really not getting along. We don't like each other very much. We can't agree on anything. We thought a kid may help. <laughs> what? Who told you that? <laughs> no, 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 don't, don't do that. It can't survive on injections. If a marriage is going to be healthy, and whole, and it's going to thrive the way God has designed it to thrive. We have to go below the injections to the place of real damage, to the place of real misunderstanding. We have to fix what God has told us to fix, and he gives us the perfect blueprint for it. In fact, I'll walk you through this uh, in the front end. I'll give you kind of an outline for it, and then we'll land on the perfect blueprint to heal what's below the injection so that we can begin to develop a healthy, thriving marriage the way God desired us to. Number one is this. <clears throat> this is important to understand. God saw our need for a partner. God saw it in the very beginning. Scripture reaffirms it. He who finds a wife finds a... Good thing. I'll give you husbands one more chance to make your wife happy right now. He who finds a wife finds a... You better say it a little louder. He who finds a wife finds a... You have a good thing sitting next to you. Listen to Genesis 1 verse 31. I'm going to paint the picture leading up to Genesis 2 24. It says, God saw all that he made and it was very good. God saw his creation. He recognized my creation is very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. Genesis 2, 18, the next day, he says that God said, It is not good for man 
to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Understand this. He looked not at his creation, but at the condition of his creation. And he determined that the condition of his creation was not suitable without a helper. So what did he do? He created a helper. God knew that we needed a partner. You need the person that you're married to. In fact, I just feel like we should probably reaffirm that to them right now. Why don't you turn to the person that you're married to and say, I need you. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let's go. If they haven't turned to you now, you, you look at them and say, I need you. I re- now, and now I know what you're thinking. You're, you're probably like, well, yeah, you don't know who I'm married to. Okay, we can go with that. But I know God knows you better than you know yourself. And God brought you into partnership with someone, maybe that you don't want all the time, but you need in your life. Because God's desire for marriage is not for you to be happy, but for you, you to be holy. So God didn't give you someone to satisfy every selfish need that you have. God gave you someone maybe to challenge some of the selfish needs that you have so that they can bring out of you a holiness that only a suitable partner could. You know, when you, when you, when you recognize this fact that God did not create marriage to make me happy, to make me holy, you, you, under, you, you have a lot more opportunity for grace. When it's about making me happy, when they put the toilet paper on the wrong way and it goes down the back and not down the front, I don't know how many times I have to explain this in my home, right? It's the front. It's the front. It falls off the front. It doesn't roll from behind, right? It's an opportunity to get annoyed. It's an opportunity to get frustrated. It's an opportunity to get mad. Or it's an opportunity to be holy. It's an opportunity to be a servant. It's an opportunity to say, maybe God has placed me with someone to take away these stupid little annoying frustrations and help me to get over myself. The dishwasher. How is it supposed to be loaded? Plastics on top. The bowls go where the bowls go. The plates go on the bottom. Silverware is for silverware, not for everything that you can just pile into the thing, right? When it's about making me happy, when it's not done right, I'm mad. When it's about making me holy, when it's not done right, I have an opportunity for grace. I have an opportunity to show love. I have an opportunity to speak the truth in love. When it's about me, I'm just mad. Why on earth can't we figure out toilet paper? Oh, and then then parking in the driveway. Hey, leave me half. Leave me half. Oh, it, 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 what, were you parking blind? What happened? You know, like, can, we, can we not leave me half and don't run over half of my yard in the process, right? So silly, so ridiculous, so, so, so childish to get mad about. But when it's about making me happy, right, babe? When it's about making me happy, I act like a fool about it. When it's about making me holy, I think, you know what, can I borrow your keys? I'm just going to go repark your van for you <laughs> with the heart of grace and love. And maybe next time you'll remember that I have a part in this drive. You, know, you, you see what I'm saying? We have to recognize this. If you find yourself angry in your marriage all the time, chances are you're looking to your partner to make you happy. And if their job is to make you happy, they're just going to tick you off all the time. 
They're going to make you mad every chance they get. Because they're not perfect, they're not God, and that's not their role. You've placed on them an unfair expectation to satisfy your selfish desires. Nobody can do that. God can change them, but nobody can satisfy your selfishness. So we see God sees man needs a partner suitable for him. Now this is super interesting. God couldn't find one, so he created one. Look at Genesis 2, 20 through 23. So, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with his flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to man. The man said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. So God creates man from dust. Then he says, I want you to name everything else that I had created because everything else had already been created. So isn't this kind of, think about this for a second. So he's going through and he's naming the animals and at the same time, God's looking for a suitable partner for him. And what did it say? Afterwards, he didn't find one. Can't you picture that? Isn't that funny? God's looking at him. He's like, gold retriever. No, too kind. Listens to everything. Let's make a woman. That'd be great. Let's just, let's throw him a curveball here, right? Like, he's just looking through all the animals. He doesn't find one suitable. So then he throws him into a deep sleep. He takes out a rib. He fashions a woman. He puts the woman before man. And listen to what Adam says. This is really, really important, especially for us dominant, hard-headed alpha males. He says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You want the Hebrew on that? This is my equal. If you grew up with a misogynistic theology of marriage, she shall speak when spoken to, in the kitchen for me, do what I tell her to do, how I tell her to do it, you've totally missed it. You've totally missed it. What does he say? This is bone of my bone. This is flesh of my flesh. This is my equal partner. We have different roles, but we have an equal partnership. This is me. This is me. I'm looking at me. I'm looking at the other half of me. This is, this is not her versus me. This is us as one. And when I attack her, I'm attacking me. How many have older brothers? You had an older brother. I had two of them. They used to pin me down, take my arm, and, and hit me with it. And they'd sit there and say, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. And I'd say, mom, Jeff is hitting me. And Jeff said, I didn't hit him. He hit himself. Well, how do you parent that, right? Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting it. No, it's like, same thing in marriage. Why are you screaming and yelling and angry at the other half of you? This is you that you're talking to. This is you that you're tearing down. When you tear him down, you're tearing yourselves down. Both of you are going down with the ship. It's not just one. When you correct and nag and ride her all of the time, you're not just tearing her down, you're tearing yourself down. You're tearing down the one thing that you're supposed to be building because the structure is oneness. Watch this in Genesis 2, 24. Here's our structure. He says, this is why. You want to know why? This is why. A man leaves his father and mother, number one, leave, and is united 
to his wife, number two, unite, and they become one. Number three, become one. Leave, unite, become one. How do we heal what's below the injections? We leave, we unite, we become one. How do we heal what we've been masking for years? How do we heal this hard heart that has been directed towards my spouse with the idea that all you need to do is make me happy and we'll have a happy marriage to, man, maybe God wants to do something holy in me. Maybe he wants to change something in me. We leave, we unite, and we become one. All right, we're going to start at the very end with become one, and then we're going to talk about leave and unite. Here we go. For becoming one, uh, I love this. Our example of this in Scripture is God's relationship within the Trinity, the oneness of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When you say, what should my oneness in my marriage look like? It should look like the oneness you strive to have with God. If you're a better Christian than you are a spouse, you haven't made application. If you're a better Christian than you are a spouse, you haven't made application to the oneness. God's not calling you to be an unbelievable Christian, make your devotions every morning, be in church every week, be serving, be loving on people, be giving and everything else, and then just be a terrible spouse. You haven't made the application. Because the, the example that you're striving for in your spiritual life should play out in your marriage. John 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. John 17, 20 through 21. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. He's, he's proclaiming the oneness. He says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Ephesians 5, 21 through 29, Paul is giving clarity on the theology of marriage. And in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he walks through what that submission should look like. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, honor your husband as you would Christ. And then all of a sudden, in Ephesians uh, 5 verse 29, he says, after all, no one ever hated their own body. Quit hitting yourself. Quit hitting yourself. Why do you hate your own body? They're part of you. They're the other half of you. But they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. Verse 30, for we are members of his body. For this reason, notice the quote here, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Paul uses it as an illustration. And then listen to what he says, verse 32. This is a profound mystery. In other words, this is a wild mystery, but here's what it means. I'm talking about Christ and the church. In other words, Paul is saying, your goal is oneness. And I know it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around it, so let me give you an example. Jesus and the church. Your goal is to grow into one solid unit together. And the only example that I can think to give you is the one that you passionately pursue in Jesus. Jesus holds everything together. Your marriage is not two people, it's three. Jesus is the one that holds everything in place. Your marriage does not need another trip. Your marriage does not need new friends. 
Your marriage does not need happy hour or a new job or a new city to live in. Your marriage needs more Jesus. That's the scent. That's what holds it all together. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, after all, you guys are one. And he said, the oneness that you should have is between Christ and the church. A oneness that would lay down its life to maintain relationship. I can't remember I told you about, uh, did I tell you about Canaan and Gorilla Glue? Did I show, look at this. This right here, this stuff, this now remains on a very, very high shelf in my garage. Says wood glue for the toughest jobs on the planet. It is incredibly strong, equivalent to up to 10,000 nails. That's accurate. Very true. You want to know how I know that? My son thought he'd be cool one day, and he went out to the garage. And he disappeared for once. When he's silent for over 30 minutes, we know it's problems, right? We're like, okay, I don't hear anything. We got a major issue, right? And he'd been gone for about 30, 45 minutes, didn't know where he was. Walks into the house. He, as he walks in there, he says, Dad, guess what? I said, what, buddy? He said, I built you something in the garage. I said, you what? He said, I built you something in the garage. He said, you know that glue that we have? I used that glue to build you something. Huh? I, I went out to my garage. I kid you not. He had taken all of my tools, ratchets, sockets, hammers, electric tools, DeWalt drills, pieces of wood, and he had used over two bottles of this stuff to glue it all together. And I am not kidding you when I say I had a pry bar and a rubber mallet, and I was busting pieces of wood and tools glued to the concrete floor. I was busting. I was snapping. I, I lost sockets. I lost so much. He, he built this. I don't know what he was. And you know how you like, you're like, dang it. I got to kind of be like, thank you. I also want to kill you. But like, wow, bud, you ruined everything. And it looks so beautiful. You know, what a piece of art, my guy. But it was, it was this stuff. Right here, I'm just telling you, you got a problem that needs fixing, this will fix it. You want to screw something up really bad, just glue it together with Gorilla Glue because you're not getting it apart. Our marriages have to have glue. You realize this, you cannot be a great spouse on your own. You can't. You're not capable of it. With God's grace, with God's mercy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, but on your own, with nothing to hold your oneness together, it's not sticking. That's exactly what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there has to be a central figure and it cannot be a shared bank account. There has to be something that holds you together and it can't be two names on the deed of a home. There has to be something that holds you together. And he says, I know it's a mystery, but you want to know what the mystery is? Christ. It's Christ in the church. It's the model. It's what has to hold you together. And now, I love this. So he goes, we have the picture of oneness, and now he gives us two uniquely individual operative words, leave and unite. These words have deep Hebrew imagery throughout the children of Israel that has to do with their relationship with God. 
has to do either with their rebellion and them running from God or with their union and their love for God. But these two words, make no mistake about it, to a Jewish audience recapping this passage, to a Jewish audience hearing Paul quote Genesis 2.24, they're like, oh my goodness, I get it. It's us. It was our rebellion. That's what we have to leave. Oh my goodness, I get it. It's our union with Christ. That's what I have to have in my marriage. So as you listen to this, listen to those two words. Number one is leave. He says he must leave his father and mother. Leave is leaving spiritual rebellion, leaving the current circumstance to become one. It's the Hebrew word azab, and it means to completely abandon. Means to completely 100% abandon whatever it was that you had. Listen, you, you cannot build trust with your spouse if you can't get out of your past. You cannot build trust with your spouse if you can't say no to your parents. You're supposed to leave that. You cannot build trust in your relationship if you cannot overcome the things that were, that were plaguing you before. He says you have to leave these things. You have got to leave things in a marriage. I laugh when I do weddings and, and all the friends are in there and, and usually I'm in the groom suite and the groom is in there and, and they're like, man, after you get married, we're going to go float the river together and man, we're going to go kayaking together. We're going to go camping in Colorado together, man. It's going to be great. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, you don't know. In fact, you guys are not going to be hanging out much at all. <laughs> Because when you get married, you leave things. You don't bring everything with you. We were watching Next Level Chef last night. Uh, anybody fans of Next Level Chef, new Gordon Ramsay show? Oh my goodness, I absolutely love it. I'm a huge Gordon Ramsay fan. And we're watching this, and it came time for plating, right? And you know, you know Gordon, he's going berserko in the, in the kitchen. And they're, they're there, he's like, five minutes, start plating now, you know? And they, they start plating everything. And there's this girl, and she roasted some potatoes as a garnish to go along with her, with her meal that she was making. It was a pork meal. And she had these potatoes roasted, and she's, she's sitting there jacking with them the whole time. She's like trying to get the wax paper off, and she's trying to do this. And Gordon starts screaming, Piat, don't get stuck on the garnish. You know how Gordon does it. Don't get stuck on the garnish. And he's screaming at her. Don't get stuck on the garnish. And I looked over at Anna and I said, don't get stuck on the garnish, right? And she laughed at me and it just became this thing we said back and forth. But, but there is some truth to it, to what we're talking about now when it comes to leaving. Don't get stuck on the garnish in your marriage. There are people who are stuck on a garnish from 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you made me mad and I've hated you ever since. And this house has been cold. This marriage has been dry. And we've been roommates that have raised kids because 30 years ago I got stuck on the garnish. Let go of the garnish. Leave the garnish. There are people who cannot grow in oneness because they're still running to their parents when things get bad. Let go of the garnish. Your parents are now a garnish. They are not the main course on the dish. If they are, that's weird. They're the garnish. Leave them as the guard. You have to leave 
things. You have to let things go. Look at the Hebrew imagery of this word when we talk about leave. Jeremiah 2.13. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me. That's the word. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Jeremiah 2.17. And you have brought this upon yourselves by, same word, rebelling. You leave me against the Lord your God. And even though he was leading you on the way. Jeremiah 5.7. He says, for even your children have turned from me. They have left me. They've completely abandoned me. They have sworn by gods that are not gods at all. I fed my people until they were full, but they thanked me by committing adultery and lining up at brothels. They left me. Think about this now for a second. We're a, we're a first century Jewish audience, and we hear God say, you must leave your father and mother. What are we thinking? Man, we must leave him like we abandoned him in the wilderness. That's exactly what he's saying. The way you ran from God in your past should be the way you run to your spouse now. Saying that the way that you left it. Look at Lot. Lot's wife is a great example of this, right? In Genesis 19, God tells Lot that he's destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, and he gives him one command. You've got one job. Get your wife, get your daughters, get the heck out of there, and don't look back. You, you already know, if you know the story, what does Lot's wife do? Genesis 19, 26. But Lot's wife looked back. Circle that word. I'll tell you what it means in a second. And she became a pillar of salt. That word for look back means to reminisce longingly. So what did she do? God said, and what was Sodom and Gomorrah? It was an example of absolute immorality. And he said, run from it as fast as you can. Get out of that place. And the one thing I don't want you to do is look back. And as Lot is running and his children are running, what is his wife doing? She's longingly reminiscing her days in Sodom and Gomorrah. She's scrolling Facebook and looking at old relationships. She's chatting with people that she shouldn't be chatting with. She's doing things that she should And what happened? Lost everything became a pillar of salt, became an example of what it means to not leave. You have to leave. If you want a healthy relationship of oneness, you have to leave and leave without looking back. Canaan, the other day, was riding his bike. You already can finish the story. It was the funniest thing I've seen in a really long time. There was an F-250 in front of him. You know in the F-250s, not just the normal ones, but then they have that like metal bumper on them. It's got the plated metal on it and everything. And he's looking back at me. I'm riding behind him. Man, I wish I had a camera. I need to wear a GoPro, right? And I'm saying, Kanan, look forward. Look forward. And he's going, what, Dad? What, Dad? And boom, what do you think he did? flies off the side, wrapped around to the wheel. He's laid there on the street, and he says, why were you screaming my name, Dad? You're right, all my fault. What was I thinking? Trying to protect you and trying to help you. I'm like, get up. I don't want him to see the dented up truck. Let's get out of here, right? It's a Ford anyway. Who cares? But you can't look back. Quit looking back. You have to leave what's here in order to enter into oneness that God wants for you. Now let's finish with Unite. 
In Unite, I, I love the same thing. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, that was more a covenantal term than it was physiological. To understand, when he says bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, he's not saying it's my actual rib. In fact, if you want to get really nerdy on the Hebrew, the word means side, not rib. So we've turned it into rib. Who knows whether it was a rib or not, but it was in the side. He opened up his side and he made man out, he made woman out of the side of man. But it's it's a covenantal term of him saying, This, it's a pledge of loyalty. This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is my oneness. Listen to the word. Again, it has major spiritual implication. It's the Hebrew word debak. It means to unite. Deuteronomy 4.4 says, But all of you who were faithful to the Lord, all of you who debak, you were just faithful, you united to the Lord your God, are still alive today. Every one of you. Deuteronomy 10 verse 20. It says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast. Unite to him and take your oaths in his name. Deuteronomy eleven twenty two 22 says, if you carefully observe all these commands I am giving you to follow, to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience, and to him hold fast to unite with him. It's the same word. Deuteronomy 13, 4. It is the Lord your God you must follow. Same thing. And him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him. Serve him and hold fast. There it is again. To debauch him. Unite yourself with him. I'll give you one more. Deuteronomy 30, verse 20. He says, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him, to debauch him, unite yourself with him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord your God is going to give your ancestors, Isaac and Jacob. In other words, we take this word unite and the Hebrew connotations of spirituality with it, and here is what it means. If we can't love God the way we're supposed to love God, we'll never be able to love our spouse the way we're supposed to love them. If we can't love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and we can't unite to it, I don't care how nice, how romantic, and how thoughtful and compassionate you are. If we can't love the Lord our God, if we can't unite to Him as He's called us to unite to Him, there's no way we'll be able to be the spouse that he's called us to be. It is this union with God that makes our marriage better. He has to come into the picture. He's a key ingredient. Man, I'm on a food kick today. I might as well be. It's the Super Bowl and there's no good teams playing. We might as well eat good food, right? Yeah, I know. I know. Go ahead. Go ahead. I made a big deal about the Chiefs and they went and lost. And now what, what is this, all these Cajuns about Joe Burrow? Oh, you see my boy Joe Burrow? Yeah. Yeah, he's from Ohio. <laughs> he played at Ohio State before LSU. Pretty sure you're the second choice. Man, you give a Cajun an opportunity, they'll make everything about them. I know too many of them. I'm friends with too many of them. Oh, no, Joe Burrow, man, the Cajuns, go LSU. Yeah, go Ohio State. Buckeyes, here we go. You know, like, what are you saying? Anyway, okay, am I bitter? A little, maybe. Who do I want to win? Not Cincinnati, but, you know, it's beside the point. Good food. That's what we're talking about. Uh, this 5 o'clock this morning. I was putting a brisket on a smoker, getting it ready for the game. Brisket sliders, buffalo chicken, egg rolls. What else? What else are we having? 
Uh, fried sticky ribs. Oh, man, it's going to be so good. I'm so excited for it. Like I told you, I've, I've been in a food mood since COVID and uh, never really quit, as you can tell. <laughs> Hasn't worked out for me at all. Okay, where am I headed? Oh, yeah, key ingredient to a marriage. Um, yes, the other day we ordered uh, food. We, we do on Thursday nights, we do like a family dinner and, and we order food from somewhere and have it at our house. And I ordered fajitas from this place that we'd never been before. And it was crazy because they showed up. And I remember when I first saw them, I was like, did you give me fajitas? Are you sure? And she was like, oh, yeah, I got you. I got you fajitas. And I opened it up, and the chicken was in one container. The cheese was in one container. The onions were in one container. The peppers were in one container. The beans were in one container. The pico was in one container. The guac was in one container. I'm like, what, what is this? This is not fajitas. Like, fajitas is all of this together, right? That's what makes a great fajita. But a grilled chicken breast with onions and peppers, like, that's not fajitas. It has to be combined. Where am I? Your marriage needs to be a fajita, right? You have to have things that unite you. And the thing that unites you is Christ. Yeah, right. We're off the rails now. Let me wrap this up. It's Super Bowl Sunday after all. Leave means you leave the things behind everything behind for your new relationship. Unite means you unite to Christ, and through Christ, you become one. And the oneness that you experience is the same oneness that Christ has with the church.